We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we focus on how Judaism impacts our understanding of pop culture and how pop culture influences our appreciation of our faith. As always, we're your hosts. I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. And today, our pre-Thanksgiving episode, where we focus on that which we are thankful for and the work we need to do to give thanks to the world God has given us. We are focusing on the new Hulu documentary, I Am Greta. This documentary focuses on the work and movements of the youth activist Greta Thunberg and her uh, role in inspiring a whole movement of students to fight for change with the climate crisis. And we're joined today by a very special guest, a member of my congregation here in Richmond, Virginia, uh, and a, an extraordinary and inspiring youth activist uh, in her own right, um, who's been involved um, in the uh, youth climate strike, as well as uh, many other movements, is, a, is a, an extraordinary leader. Uh, we're joined by Claudia Sachs. Hello, Claudia. Hi, Rabbi. Good to see you and good to have you with us today. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, thank you so much, Rabbi Knopf and Rabbi Olitsky, for having me on the episode today. My name is Claudia Sachs, and I am 17 years old and a senior in high school in Richmond, Virginia, and a proud member of Temple Bethel. And I've been very engaged with combining my passion for combating the climate crisis with my connection to my Jewish roots. And I've been involved with climate strikes in Richmond and in DC. And I'm the founder of the BBYO International Climate Crisis Task Force. Amazing. Yeah, I wanted, I was going to hold that up that uh, the, email notification that I get when somebody signs on to my Zoom uh, uh, this morning said, BBYO Climate uh, is waiting for you in your Zoom room. And so uh, we're looking forward to hearing a little bit more about uh, that work that you've been doing. And we're really inspired by it. Like, like Jesse said, we're going to be talking about the documentary on Hulu, I Am Greta. Uh, I, that's one thing that I learned in the documentary is how exactly to pronounce uh, Greta Thunberg's name, uh, and you know, I probably you could try. Do, I don't know if you're I doing it correctly, but <laughs> but a for effort. Listen, whenever I do it, it's going to end up sounding like the Swedish Chef on the Muppets. That's just we're going to have to accept that. Uh, but we'll we'll do the best we can. Uh, and uh, of course, like Jesse said, uh, I am Greta. Uh, follows the, uh, the the rise of uh, Greta Thunberg's youth climate strike, which started small, just her. Uh, with a sign outside the parliament in Stockholm, Sweden, uh, and uh, grew to be a movement that uh, spanned continents uh, and includes tens of thousands of young people and people of conscience all over the world to uh, try to uh, make the climate crisis first and foremost 
uh, in the minds of uh, policymakers and politicians to actually make a change, make a difference so that our uh, youth will have a future on this planet. Um, it is, uh, you know, I felt as, as a documentary, as a piece of pop culture, um, it was not especially compelling. Um, you know, it was not uh, 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 moving or dramatic in, in some of the same ways that, you know, other uh, dramatic documentaries are. Uh, but Greta's story is incredibly inspiring and her voice is incredibly powerful. And that comes through uh, beautifully in the documentary, which chronicles from the very beginning of the uh, youth climate strike uh, to her uh, arrival in New York by sailboat effectively. Um, I don't know exactly what you would call that kind of boat, a schooner, uh, but a, a small little dinghy that she- A hobby uh, cat. A hobby cat, there you go, uh, that she uh, uh, took across the Atlantic to New York uh, to uh, speak at uh, a global summit on, uh, on climate change there, uh, where she took world leaders to task in a powerful and fiery speech um, that has since gone viral um, about their failure, their, their utter failure to um, address the climate crisis as a crisis. So I, I want to ask you, Claudia, just, you know, just to reflect on the, on the film, like what were your uh, observations and, and uh, what did you feel, what did you experience watching the documentary? I found the documentary inspiring and very fitting for who Greta is because it wasn't about the drama or the fame or her most iconic moments or her most iconic speeches. It was really about who she is as a young person and as a teenager. So I did gain some new insight to her as that I saw her as a celebrity, even if she never, even if to this day, she doesn't think of herself as a celebrity. I always saw her as someone who was famous, but she's also a normal teenager. It gave me insight into her cooking with her parents and being self-conscious about which dress to wear to the International UN Climate Summit and being choosing words for her speeches that would fit the anger and passion that she was feeling. So I really appreciated the insight it gave me into her life. But I think as a documentary overall, it could have done more showing the movement itself and showing other people who are at the front lines of the climate crisis strike movement. Um, and I wish it had gone on past New York because when she got to New York, that was really the tipping point of her creating a real international movement and uniting so many different countries and she did so much in the U.S. and she gave so many speeches and attended strikes. And I would have liked to see more of that in the documentary itself. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a really good point. It's almost like Torah itself is all about entering the promised land and yet ends before the Israelites enter the promised land, uh, right? The film, uh, the apex is the U.N. climate summit where she gives, uh, Mike, as you said, this fiery speech where she calls out these uh, international leaders, this is all wrong, I shouldn't be standing here, I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean, yet you all come to me for hope, how dare you? You've stolen my dreams in my childhood with your 
empty words. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. And, and that is what went viral. Um, interestingly, as you said, Claudia, that that was really the catalyst on the Friday before the UN Global Summit, uh, which was also um, right before Yom Kippur in, in 2019. There were over 2 million students worldwide from uh, all continents who participated in a worldwide school strike um, to stop this climate crisis. Uh, I sort of wonder what happens next. She's risen to fame, um, famously has had these Twitter feuds with the president, why the yes. president is having Twitter feuds with a 16-year-old in Sweden. That's a whole separate issue. Um, but I, I, I also don't want us to forget about the urgency of this climate crisis. I, I think when this pandemic began, everything else that um, we should be tackling with the fierce urgency of now all of a sudden went on the back burner and things have gotten worse. They haven't improved at all. Uh, we officially, the day after the election, uh, pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord. Uh, although President-elect Biden has promised that on day one, right after the inauguration, he will enter the United States back into the Paris Climate Accord. Uh, I think we have a lot to do as a nation to repair the, the shattered pieces that um, President Trump ha has has done with his action or inaction over these past four years to make things worse, not better. Yes. And I think it's also important that America reestablishes its international legitimacy because I'm grateful that hopefully we will be rejoining the Paris Climate Accords, but what will other countries think of us if every four years we flip-flop in and out of an international agreement? Because the earth doesn't have time for that. It doesn't have time for those games and for our internal drama. In order to actually slow this climate crisis, we need constant, constant dedication to international cooperation to work together. And I think I'm grateful that a Biden administration is more committed to that than the past Trump administration but I'm worried for what's gonna happen in 2024. And I think we need to be thinking that long-term. Yeah, I mean, you, you raise a really good point. You know, I, I, exit polls, you know, are, are famously uh, sometimes misleading, uh, but, uh, but it was noteworthy to me that, uh, that uh, climate change um, did not register uh, extremely high on the list of even democratic voters. Um, and, and so I'm wondering, you know, uh, about that, you know, and, and the documentary, you know, picks that up as well. I mean, the, the, you know, what, what Greta ultimately is after is that, like, people actually treat this like a crisis, that there's a sense of an alarm, um, that it becomes, you know, first and foremost in the minds of voters and politicians. And yet, um, like, and she's frustrated time and again that nobody is acting like this is a crisis. Um, that, you know, that, that people are voting for, you know, just about every other conceivable issue except for this. So um, how do you feel about that? And, and what are your thoughts about, like, how we can make a difference uh, in that arena? I think it shows that the youth have a beautiful role in really putting adults in their place and showing them their own complacency 
And I think Greta really brought that excitement of the youth movement to life. And she is a truth seeker and a truth teller. And that's what makes her such a strong leader. And I think it's important that adults take a knee and listen to young people because God willing, I hope to be around in 2090. Or if I live to 100, it would be 2097. And it sounds futuristic, but I hope to be around to see an earth that is beautiful and plentiful and safe and safe for those who don't have the privileges that I have, like AC and heating and running water. Um, I think it is important to think that long term and something that Greta stood for that I partly disagree with is that I agree with the idea of school striking for climate. And that's something that I've taken apart in dozens of times and found it very meaningful. But I think coupled with that, we also need to have an education that teaches us about the climate crisis. So it's important to strike, our strike from education to bring light to this movement and to get the attention of adults and policymakers. But we also need to make sure that in school there's a curricula that's teaching us about global warming and about pollution and ecosystems, because that's what got Greta started. She started this movement because she was in class learning about the climate crisis and shocked that no one was freaking out just like her. And I've I'm almost done with high school and I have never had a class like that and I've never fully had access to legitimate climate education and that's something that my generation needs if we are going to be the next leaders to properly combat the climate crisis. You know, I appreciate what you were saying, uh, Claudia, that um, the movie did not highlight the movement in a, in a way that um, I really wish it would have in the rise of this movement. It highlighted Greta as the leader of this movement, but not this groundswell. Um, there, there's another documentary that recently came out, Us Kids, uh, which is a documentary on the March for Our Lives movement and, and highlights each of the leaders of the March for Our Lives movement and their their um, personal experiences with gun violence and their role in trying to build this movement and understanding that why do we want to build a youth movement? Because they are the next generation of voters, right? That um, Claudia, you shared with us before we started recording that what do we make of a youth movement when those involved in this movement for, for um, working to end this climate crisis don't have a vote? And how do you make change when you are not yet 18 and cannot, uh, right, right, cannot vote for policymakers and politicians and legislators who really do have your best interests at heart? Yes, and I think something that everyone needs to get on board with is that changing our own lives for the climate crisis is so difficult and it takes real change and struggle. And above all, I think that's something the documentary really showed um, because I'm not sure if Greta's 
choice to take a boat instead of a flight across the Atlantic saved the world from impending climate doom and rescued us all. But it showed that if you're really going to make a difference, it has to be difficult. It has to involve letting go of some things that bring you comfort, like driving as a single person in a single vehicle and taking flights across the Atlantic for fun and eating meat seven days a week and using endless electricity and taking 15 minute showers. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm guilty of quite a few of those things, but the documentary really made me recognize that I have to look internally and look at what changes I can make in my life that are going to be difficult. Um, because a lot of youth now have really gotten behind bans on plastic straws and Starbucks cups. And that's very important and good to do, but I think it allows us to shelter ourselves from difficult changes. And people say, okay, I used a paper straw I'm now safe, or I recycled my milk carton and I've done my duty for the week. And it'll, it gets people off too easy and we need to be comfortable with making those more difficult changes as individuals. That's my, that's my challenge, right? Uh, and my struggle, uh, wondering if those little acts truly make a difference. I commented on this about the, the carbon footprint that we wanna change. Uh, was Greta trying to really walk the walk or was she trying to um, simply um, make a statement when she went on her sailboats across the Atlantic to, to the UN climate crisis uh, conference summit um, because the airplane she would have taken from Stockholm to JFK airport still had the same carbon footprint, whether she was on it or wasn't on it. Well, Jesse, I, I think that, uh, that, you know, we should be mindful of one dimension of it, which is that the, you know, the, that even if the boat trip was, you know, a, a sort of publicity stunt, right? I think that we, we which, I, which I think it may have in part been, um, although the documentary doesn't suggest that, um, there's nothing inherently wrong with that because as you know, um, sometimes you need kind of uh, somewhat outrageous acts like say, I don't know, uh, half a dozen rabbis getting arrested in front of uh, Trump Tower in Manhattan to draw attention to Absolutely. the actual issue that you're protesting, which otherwise wouldn't have been covered in the media, right? So that's why you do civil disobedience. Absolutely. Right. So, you know, so there's a way in which, you know, Greta gets, um, you know, builds the movement um, uh, through that act, right? Which, so the act itself becomes so much more significant than the, than the, than, than the actual meaning of the deed. So that's, that's one that struck me about it, you know, and, and two, um, there's a, a sense of the integrity of it, right? So it's, you know, um, like I can't tell people that they need to be making you know, drastic changes in the way we consume and, and act in the world if I'm not willing to take those, make those sacrifices myself. So that's, that's a, a second piece of it uh, to me. And the third is, you know, and this is, this is true, we had this idea uh, in Jewish law called uh, Messiah Lide Ovre Avera, um, that we should not assist people who are committing transgressions. 
right? So that means that every purchase decision that I have, right? You know, if I decide to buy a gas guzzler uh, SUV or something like that, right? Um, that, that I, you know, plausibly you can make an argument that I am strengthening the hands of those who are doing wrong. Right. And, you know, so so every purchase decision that, that, that I have um, uh, has an impact. Right? If there's no market for um, for, uh, you know, uh, uh, fossil for fossil fuels, um, then people will stop harvesting from them from the earth and, and producing cars that run on them or or, uh, or or firing coal power plants or things like that. Right. So, it, you know, like we every one of us as individuals is part of that marketplace and we can decide to participate in the marketplace or not participate in the marketplace. That doesn't mean that we're going to, on our own, affect the change. But if everybody in the aggregate made those decisions too, it would definitely impact change. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and it also, I think, set, it, like communicates a message, and I think that Claudia is right, that it's, it's not enough to stop there, right? It's not enough to say, okay, well, I'm not gonna use plastic straws um, because plastic straws are a drop in the ocean when it comes to, you know, um, the, the um, greenhouse gas emissions of the meat production industry um, and the, you know, the, the fossil fuel um, uh, consumption and production industry. So, right, so it's not enough, but, it's, but it, it's, it's also not enough to say that I'm, that, that I'm only gonna focus on the systemic problems. I think that's really where education comes in and that's something we've really been focusing on in the BBYO Climate Crisis Task Force because the task force now has 75 teams from 12 countries and we can't really get together and hold a convention and make individual changes in one specific city. But what we can do is educate the movement of BBYO teens, which I think is 10,000 or 15,000 teens now. And we can create educational programs and we're now working on a international vegetarian cookbook that encompasses all of the countries represented on our task force. Um, and we created a BBYO fossil fuel divestment proposal. So there's two sides to it. We have that education portion, um, that all of the task force members are taking part in and working towards. And then we have teams on our task force dedicated to making sure that individual task force members are making those uncomfortable changes. Um, and I think it really is two-sided. We need education and we need more knowledge because I'm not gonna try and combat a climate crisis that I don't know exists. And we need to make sure that we're taking direct action and striking. And when we can't strike in person, doing it digitally, or um, last Saturday, I went with the Virginia Climate Strike Coalition and we picked up trash at Belle Isle in Richmond, Virginia. And it's really about taking those more creative steps during this time of isolation and during COVID-19 to make sure we're still making a change. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, the, that was one thing that the documentary, I think, did really effectively. Um, at the opening sequence was um, juxtaposed, you know, the, the just just extraordinary 
disinformation um, that is out there about climate change and global warming and the climate crisis, um, the concerted efforts um, not to deny the reality uh, of this phenomenon um, and its danger, juxtaposed with images of the impacts of, uh, of, of climate change all over the world, right? And I think that that's, you know, that's one of the biggest challenges, I think, of, of you know, it's not just about climate change, we're experiencing it on a number of fronts, um, but, the, but the sheer level, not only of the, the fact that people aren't informed about it, but that they are being deliberately misinformed about it. Yes, and I think privilege allows people to shelter themselves from the climate crisis. Um, like I recognize that if a hurricane or flood or fire somehow came to Virginia, I would be able to move with my family. But that's a privilege not held by the majority of Americans, and the majority of people around the world. Um, so we're in this whole movement to recognize our privilege in many different ways, whether that be race, religion, sexuality, gender, socioeconomic. And I think in recognizing our privilege in all those different parts of our lives, we can start to see how we're sheltering ourselves from the suffering and pain of others in our community. I'm wondering if we could return to the conversation about um, the power of this being a youth-led movement. Um, Vice President Al Gore, who he himself is really an environmental hero, uh, more famous now for his work with the environment than he ever was as vice president. Um, he famously said after this worldwide school strike for climate that he, his hope for the future stems largely from the recent unprecedented groundswell of youth activism that's raised public consciousness to new levels, is pushing political leaders to develop bold and ambitious ideas and confront this challenge. Uh, and it's the youth activists that are taking the lead. I think of a quote from the prophet Isaiah, who says that children shall be disciples of God and how great will the peace of your children be the uh, Rav Shalom Banayich and Midrash actually says instead of Banayich, your children, we should read it as Bonayich, your builders, suggesting that actually it's our children, it's the youth, it's the future who will build society and build this world better than those who came before them. What do you think it is that has led children? to lead this movement and adults overall, I know I'm making a generalization, but adults overall to be apathetic at best to this climate crisis. Is it that, hey, we're going to be dead in 50 years, so it's not an issue for us in the way it is for your generation and your children's God willing one day generation? I think it really does have to do with the time that we were born. Um, Yes, I think that is a part of it. I think Gen Z particularly, we're gonna be like starting our lives when it's predicted that like much of California will have been destroyed by wildfires and that hurricanes are gonna be coming every single month like we see now um, because so many in the 80s and 90s, so many climate predictions were about 2030 and 2040 and 2050. And 
for previous generations, that doesn't sound like a big deal because yeah, they won't, they won't be around then. But in 2030, I'll be 27. That's not that far away. And I want to be creating a planet that's livable for myself and for my future children and for future generations. Then I also think a part of the youth uprising has to do with technology and the amount of information that we have access to now, because youth can, can't make excuses anymore that we're not getting information, we're not educated. Oh, I didn't know about the fires. I didn't know about the hurricanes or the floods um, because it's all in our phones. And that's a great gift and a privilege that previous generations didn't have. And I think it makes many youth more informed and it leads to lots of disinformation for other people. Um, so it's walking this tightrope of where do we find information and how much does that matter? Right, it's a blessing and a curse. Um, Micah, when we spoke in a recent episode about the right stuff and Americans role on launching a man into outer space, I you know, found it so odd that the world stopped and everybody was watching the same news broadcasts, uh, that you had your four channels, your five channels, and it was the same nightly news everybody watched. And now with blogs and live streams and a thousand cable news channels, we only watch what we want to watch. And so there's a subjectivity to the news that we absorb. And so I guess, Claudia, my question for you is, uh, you said that that's the blessing, this way to spread information to tech-savvy Gen Zers. How do we make sure that those who are not accessing this information, who see uh, climate change as a hoax, how do we make sure that they are properly informed? That's a difficult question, um, mostly because iPhones have been around nearly my whole life, so it's hard for me to see. Um, but I think credible news sources are still very important and difficult to come by now. Um, and it's important for people to recognize the biases in the news that they are absorbing. Um, like I read certain news articles that are supposed to be opinion sections and I realize that I agree with everything in them, but that doesn't make them fact. Um, so I think many older adults are still reading the newspaper and watching CNN and Fox News and MSNBC. And I'm not really sure where the solution can come there, but the youth still have a chance to educate adults and that is why we strike so that our voices and our strikes go on the news they appear on news channels and in newspapers so that adults can see that we are taking action you know one one thing that crossed my mind as i was watching the documentary is this um uh, aspect of jewish law that if you come across a what what appears to be a mistake uh, or or a problem in a Torah scroll, the way you but you can't determine whether it is you know actually something that requires the Torah soul the, like that would make the Torah scroll invalid, uh, 
and, and would need to be repaired um, is you bring a child to look at it. Um, and if the child is able to read it, then it is, um, then, then it's fine. And the child's not able to read it, then it needs to be repaired or, it, or, it's, or it's rendered invalid. And there's a, pra there's a practical reason for that, which is, you know, like presumably if a, if a child is able to do it, then it's, it's perfectly fine. But there's, I think, a deeper insight there, which is that, um, that, that like kids don't care about like how expensive the Torah scroll was to you or about like the, the prominence of the prestige of the person who wrote it or like its place within the community. Like kids are gonna, are gonna just tell it like it is, right? And uh, like, and I was watching this, you know, as uh, Greta and, and some of her um, fellow activists were meeting with the French president in the documentary. And you know, like they're wearing like jeans and hoodies. And, and I was thinking to myself like, like I like it's just so amazing to be able to like meet with with the president of France in Elysee Palace and wear jeans and a hoodie. Like I, it would never occur to me as an old person. Um, every to, to, every clergy lobbying mission I've done on Capitol Hill, there's been a very specific right, dress right, code. Dress code. <laughs> right, you got to wear a tie and a jacket. So um, you know, so so I think that the, and 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 Greta even like kind of said that uh, specifically in in the documentary that like that, you know, we're not gonna stand on pretense. Um, like we, you know, and she said like her Asperger's, uh, uh, her autism spectrum um, gives her the ability to kind of, you know, cut through the noise um, and, and cut through the pretense and be able to say like, like this is how it is. And like, I'm not gonna be distracted by, um, by, the, by the pomp and circumstance all around me. But she also like uh, was, frustrated in the documentary by that because on the one hand she felt like her it showed i think that her age made it easy for people um uh who were against her uh point of view to dismiss her uh and fellow activists um and on the other hand like people who you know were, would were, are plausibly seen as like being on the right side of this issue like gave them cover to basically not do anything right to say like we're going to celebrate you we're going to say how inspiring you are we're going to take selfies with you and then and then not actually make a difference yeah i think it goes to the same issue of plastic straws versus not taking a plane like even politicians are looking to take the easy way out but I think what Greta has created that's incredible is a very decentralized movement because Greta ha doesn't have any desire to be the face of the movement or be the most important or the most prominent. She's enabled leaders in cities all over the world to take the climate strikes into their own hands. Um, and last September in DC, I had the honor of doing a climate strike where Greta Thunberg was present in front of the White House. And she did not want to be at the front of the strike. There, there were more press than I've ever seen at the lawn of the White House, but she wanted to be in the back with the rest of the students. And she said, this is not my strike. This is your strike. I want the leaders to lead this. I'm just here watching and seeing what's happening. And I think for her to be 16 or 17 years old and have that really deep wisdom to know that it's about the movement and it's not about her, that gave her, that enables other leaders to, to 
take action and it makes it harder for adults to stick it to one person and say, okay, it's Greta's fault or to discredit Greta because you can't discredit a movement that's run by hundreds of thousands of teens around the world. And it also, you know, the, the, one of the challenges here, going back to the question of, you know, how people are, are being deliberately misinformed about climate change um, and there's just not good education out there. I mean, it's not that there's not good education out there. It's just not uh, breaking through to many people in the way that it, that it ought to. I mean, there are extremely well-funded and powerful interests um, that are, that are deliberately working to, uh, to, uh, to, you know, fight against climate justice um, and, uh, and, to, and to spread disinformation about it, to sow confusion about it. Um, and so, you know, these, these tens of thousands of young activists are, are battling, you know, are, are a David battling a, a, an, an enormous Goliath. And it, and it was frustrating to me watching the, watching the documentary and, and, and seeing, you know, the, the extraordinary activism that you and others um, are uh, showing Claudia and having people in, you know, my generation older kind of like quietly applaud you from the sidelines say like, no, like, like these people need armor and they need ammunition and they need, you know, they need our support and our, and our energy and our strength behind them. Like they are a David battling a Goliath. Um, and, and yet, you know, at best the, um, the adult community by and large is, you know, is like, is, is taking selfies with Greta, um, and saying how inspiring, you know, she and you are. But I think you bring up a great point that we do need the the support of adults because we can't vote. We really don't have money or organizations behind us. Um, so that is where adults come in. And I think it's very empowering when adults who do understand the gravity of the climate crisis donate their money or their time or they target their votes towards the climate crisis. Um, it's, it's really empowering to see adults and young people working together and it was beautiful in the documentary to see Greta's father's role in her life. Because um, he didn't write any of her speeches, he didn't tell her what to do, but he was that guiding hand that reminded her to drink some water and take a nap and <laughs> be happy with what she's accomplished. Um, so even if adults don't feel comfortable being directly involved in the activism of their children, it's so important that they're that guiding hand that can support them and empower them and give children the tools to make the change that they need. And he's really showed uh, how a child could influence the actions of their parents that he acknowledged. He's like, we weren't really the, the most green people, but Greta pushed us to do this and, and live a certain lifestyle. I think back to the prophet, Yoel, the prophet Joel, who says, as Debbie Freeman of Blessed Memory famously saying, that the old shall dream dreams, but the youth shall see visions. The idea that um, we dream of what can be, but a dream is not reality, and a vision is something that will one day be, because when you are young, uh, you believe you have enough of your life ahead of you to make it become reality. Uh, when you are older, you, you don't see the future ahead of you to make it possible. 
possible, but the youth who are leading this moment see the potential to roll up their sleeves and make it happen. And I am so inspired uh, by, Claudia, the work that you're doing, uh, the work that youth movements like BBYO that you are spearheading are are doing, uh, what Greta is doing to really start a movement, but then take a back seat to not be the face of the movement. It takes serious humility to be able to do that as well. Something that adults can learn a lot from. And um, really, I think us old fogies, which I've never been called before, (laughs) um, really can do a lot and learn a lot from the youth leading the way to learn by your example and follow your lead. I'm, I'm wondering, Claudia, if you could take a moment to reflect on how um, Judaism um, and, and your Jewishness informs your activism generally and, and in particular on this issue. I think my Judaism is the reason that I am involved in this issue because it Judaism is not about being the best or the greatest in what they do. And I actually remember having a conversation with you, Rabbi Knopf, where you said we were talking all about what does it mean to have a legacy and what should I do in the world? And you said that Judaism reminds us that we're just a part of generations of a scroll and a history of Jewish people that goes on and on and on. And we're building on what the previous generations did and said and taught. So I think that's what really that teaching that you gave me has really given me the power to be involved in this movement because it's not about me it's not about my own importance or taking something off for a college application which is very popular right now Um, it's about contributing to the movement and advocating for those who have previously been marginalized or haven't been listened to and ensuring that their voices are at the front of this movement. Um, And I just want to be an addition to that scroll and I want to build on what my grandparents and great grandparents and mom and dad taught me. And that's why I'm really grateful to be a part of such a strong Jewish community in Richmond because it's given me the strength and the power to advocate for what I believe in, what I believe is right, and to always carry the two um, pieces of paper in my pocket that are, I'm the greatest on the earth and I am but dust and ashes. And I hope to continue doing that for the rest of my life. I I love that. And, um, you know, just because you gave me a shout out, I'll give a shout out to uh, one of my Rebbies, uh, Rabbi Sharon Browse. Um, in 2019, she gave a, a really extraordinary sermon um, on climate change that, that you can read uh, on the ECAR website called The Climate Crisis is Here, What We Do Now Matters. And what she said was, the temperatures are rising, the Amazon is burning, storm surges are devastating our cities. It matters how we respond to this crisis. Even while we can't do everything, there is no moral or scientific calculation that justifies doing nothing. We must be part of a culture shift, a shift in consciousness. We must build islands of spiritual resistance. The matter depends on us. Right? And so I think that that fits perfectly in what you're saying, right? That, that 
any of us as individuals, even us as a collective may not be able to accomplish every everything, but that doesn't mean that any of us as individuals or, or all of us joined together can accomplish nothing. Of course we can, and, and because we can, we have to. And most importantly, to end on, uh, Claudia, I need to know, did Mike pay you to say that? <laughs> I can't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> It's good to know that, Mike, you inspire Claudia and the dozens of our listeners. <laughs> Thank you. Claudia is going to Claudia is going to uh, make this, I think, go viral. This is this is the moment that Pop Torah takes off. I know it. I can feel it. <laughs> Amen. Well, Claudia, thank you for joining us uh, and being a part of this conversation, inspiring us. And um, thank you to all of our youth who are inspiring us uh, as we look ahead to Thanksgiving, a time and a holiday that will look different than any of us imagined. I hope most importantly that people are making safe decisions um, and putting the health of themselves and others and uh, all of society at the forefront of their mind when they make those decisions. And still, in spite of the darkness of this moment in the middle of this latest spike and wave of this pandemic, I hope you still find opportunities that will be a catalyst to you being thankful for the many blessings you have in your life. Until next time, I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. Stay safe, everyone.